Hello, it's Tuesday the 6th of April. I'm Mike Duran. On today's podcast, Westminster awaits the starting gun, with Gordon Brown poised to call the general election today. Members of the Cabinet will be meeting, engaging with people in their homes. Gordon Brown will be meeting people. And the theme that they'll be saying is this will be the canteen election. Gordon Brown meeting ordinary voters in the normal ways that they go about their lives. A Guardian poll shows a Labour resurgence. Are we set for the closest fought election in more than a generation? The danger of going into a campaign is, is, is that people just write you off and you're seen as a bit of a joke and your activists can't be bothered to go out and the media just pick on you. If it looks like you're closing the gap, suddenly you're the story. On his return to professional golf at the US Masters, Tiger Woods faces the world's media. I tell you what, the, the galleries couldn't be nicer. I mean, it was just incredible. It, it, it blew me away. Racial tension rises in South Africa in the aftermath of the brutal murder of the white supremacist Eugene Terreblanche. President Zuma calls for calm. I condemn this act, cowardly act, and the murder of Mr. Terreblanche. It's not acceptable in our society, in our democracy. And economist Carmen Reinhardt tells The Guardian the UK needs to do far more to tackle national debt or we could face a Greek-style crisis. Something has to be done. We know what the some things are, and they don't involve bigger spending and lower taxes. We start today with what we're expecting to be the official launch of the general election campaign. Gordon Brown is poised to make the trip to Buckingham Palace to tell Her Majesty of his intentions. Parliament will then be dissolved and the gloves, as they say, will be off. The Guardian's chief political correspondent, Nicholas Watt, is on the line. Nick, what can we expect this morning? Well, we're 100% sure that it's going to happen. Gordon Brown will kick off the day uh, with an early cabinet meeting uh, and then he will head down the mile to the palace where he will say to the Queen, calling her ma'am, not ma'am, as we all remember from uh, that great film, uh, The Queen, he will ask for a dissolution of Parliament and the general election will be held in just over four weeks' time on Thursday, uh, the 6th of May. Gordon Brown will come back from the palace. We think he'll make a statement uh, in Downing Street and then he will travel to a home county's constituent constituency we are told that is one of the marginal constituencies in middle britain the sort of seat that's kept labor in power for the 13 years he'll go there be greeted by supporters we're told um, at a railway station this will really sort of set the tone um, for labor's campaign members of the cabinet will be meeting engaging with people in their homes gordon brown will be meeting people and the theme that they'll be saying is this will be the canteen election gordon brown meeting ordinary voters in the normal ways that they go about their lives. So if it's a canteen election for the Labour Party, how about the other party leaders? How are they likely to approach the election campaign in its nascent stages? Well, uh, David Cameron uh, will be claiming today that he's fighting the election on behalf of the great ignored. This is people across society who he says have been let down and ignored by Labour um, over the uh, over the last 13 years. But he too will have something in common with Gordon Brown is that he will be travelling also to marginal uh, constituencies across the country. Uh, he will make his first remarks in a statement uh, in a marginal constituency to supporters and to candidates in London. London. 
and then David Cameron will travel by coach and by rail, we are told, to a marginal constituency in Birmingham, and then he'll be heading up to Yorkshire. Uh, Nick Clegg, interestingly, will be heading to the three-way marginal of Watford. Watford is the seat, of course, where William Hague launched his disastrous general election campaign in 2001. It didn't look like uh, somebody about to be Prime Minister under William Hague saving the pound. It looked like more like a protest group. And Nick Clegg will be taking part in a question and answer session with young voters uh, in Watford. It all sounds a little pedestrian if they're on public transport, if that's not a contradiction. What about the uh, information superhighway? What role will the internet and social networking sites have on this election? Or will it all be down to the televised debates, do you think? Well, obviously, social networking and net uh, and the net is really important for this election. As we always say, this is the first election where we said in 1980s, this is the first television election. In the last few elections, we said that was the first uh, Internet and email election. But I think this really is significantly because everyone's learnt the lesson for Barack Obama, the first sort of social networking uh, election. We've already seen the impact of that. Labour last week uh, farming out uh, its poster designs uh, to anyone uh, didn't work out too well for them. So, yeah, that will be important but at the end of the day what is the most important event in this election campaign what is going to be the spine of this election campaign well 50 years after the united states it's going to be those three television debates on the three thursdays starting next week of the general election campaign everybody agrees that that is what is going to define this election and there are new constituency boundaries as well in force this election will that favor any party in particular Yes, I mean, the boundaries will sort of allow the Conservatives to play a bit of catch-up. There were 646 seats in the last Parliament. There are 650 seats uh, in this Parliament. Um, Under the last election, 2005, the Conservatives got 198 seats. If you run the 2005 election through these seats, then the Conservatives get a net gain of 12 seats, and they're up at 210. So a bit of catch-up there. uh, But the Conservatives would say they still face an enormous hurdle hurdle to climb. They, of course, won the election in England last time in terms of votes, but had around about 90 fewer seats. And in order for them to get a majority of one, they've got to have a swing that they haven't had since the 1930s. Uh, They've got to gain 116 seats just to get a majority of one. But hey, if they win the election, they've got a handy way to get uh, a a catch up, which is that they're going to uh, remove 10 percent of the number of uh, MPs at Westminster. That'll be 65 MPs. That will mean the mother of all boundary changes. Uh, Labour says it's gerrymandering. The Tories say it's playing catch-up, allow um, equality between the parties. We also know there's going to be a major change because 140 MPs, certainly at last count, are leaving. We could get the likes of Esther Ranson or uh, Boris Johnson's brother, Joe, who's standing in Orpington. Do you get a sense of excitement about this change, about the election in general, outside of Westminster, outside of Millbank? I think that there's general excitement uh, that uh, it will be a huge number of new MPs. Even if the Conservatives didn't win the election, there would still be amongst all the parties a huge uh, change in, in the number M, uh, a number of MPs. Will there be excitement out there? Uh, Obviously, turnout in the last two elections has gone down and has been pretty poor. I think turnout this time will be higher. And I think the reason why it will be higher is that people know this is a change election. Uh, In the last two elections, people were pretty clear what was going to happen. Labour obviously had another thumping majority in 2001. They did okay, but not brilliantly last time. Everyone was pretty clear that Labour was going to win. This time, it really looks like it could be a change election. And that's an incentive, obviously, for people to get out and vote. The Guardian's Nick Watt. 
Now, as Gordon Brown heads to Buckingham Palace, he'll be buoyed by today's ICM poll in The Guardian. It shows the Conservative lead over Labour has fallen from nine points to just four. The Tories are still out in front with 37%, followed by Labour on 33 and the Lib Dems on 20%. Our resident pollster Julian Glover is on the line now. Julian, how can we account for this big shift towards Labour? Well, it's quite dramatic. We've just been thinking the Tories are pulling ahead. There have been a few polls late last week showing the Tories heading towards a 10% lead. And then suddenly this comes along, four-point gap, closest we've had for a very long time, more than two years, Labour Party on 33 And that's nearly where they were in the 2005 general election. So if this poll is right, and we can talk in a second about why it might be, why it might not be, if it is right, this election, there's all to play for. Is this, it might sound a stupid question, is this good news for Labour? Well, it is, because the danger of going into a campaign is is, is that people just write you off and you're seen as a bit of a joke and your activists can't be bothered to go out and the media just pick on you. If it looks like you're closing the gap, suddenly you're the story. The key thing is we'll have to wait for other polls to show whether this one is right or whether this one is one of those famous things, a rogue poll. But it's definitely a dramatic change around from last week. Tell me then, how important are the polls? Can we rely on them? Well, we can certainly um, say they're important. I think this election, which we expect to begin in a few hours' time, is going to be the most polled in British history. There's polls going to be coming out of everybody's ears. We'll be sick of them by the end, but they'll matter because they shape the campaign. As to whether they're right, I think they are. Um, The Guardian's been polling with ICM since the early 1980s. We've had a very good record. In 1992, election famously polls got it wrong. ICM changed their methodology. We've been spot on pretty much since then. 97, 2001, 2005, the polls had a very, very good record. Now, the question is, will that be repeated again? And we'll only know on May the 7th. But I'd say... Uh, that they're pretty accurate these days, that the, the systems of weightings are very good. So how is the data collected? Well, the way polls work is that you uh, contact a sample of people which you hope represent the views of the British population and, and, and you ask some questions about themselves. So you can adjust the poll to reflect the nature of the population, how it voted at the last election. Some pollsters use computers uh, and do it through the internet. We do it still with ICM through telephone polling and you contact voters randomly. Um, you get a sample of a 1,000 or just over a 1,000. And uh, statistically, you can then use that to be pretty accurate within two or three points of the actual result. And it seems to me and that this is going to be a close election, isn't it? Well, it's going to be a close election in that we don't know for sure who's going to win and we don't know how many seats they're going to get. I think if you look at the average of polls... Um, the Tories are doing pretty well. If you look at the history of polling, I think the last 300 plus polls, the Tories have had a lead in every single one, including in the ICM today. Don't forget, it might be closer, but it's still the Tories ahead. From that, you would conclude David Cameron is going to be Prime Minister. How close it will be, we don't yet know. We'll see during the campaign. I think particularly the leadership debates on television will make a big difference. We asked people in the poll which we're publishing today whether they plan to watch the debates Um, 60% of people say they will. Now, whether they actually do, we'll we'll see on the night. Uh, They may not be as exciting as they hope. But that's a big potential interest in politics. There's an instinctive desire to take part in this election and uh, see what the leaders say. And I don't think we can say anything completely for granted yet. Julian Glover. And you can follow all the events as they happen throughout the campaign at guardian.co.uk slash politics. Elsewhere on the Guardian website today, the number of women in space reaches record levels. Details at guardian.co.uk slash science. Ed Ball says teachers can use force to break up school fights. Guardian.co.uk slash education. Plus the soap opera that is Jose Mourinho's image rights. That's at guardian.co.uk slash sport.
Now to golf, as Tiger Woods faces both the public and the media ahead of the US Masters Tour in Augusta, Georgia. In practice, the crowds overcame their initial awkwardness to gradually welcome back their fallen hero. The next test, his first question and answer session in front of the world's media. Just what a great day today. Um, coming into today, I didn't know what to, uh, what to expect um, with regards to reception and tell you what the, the galleries couldn't be nicer I mean it was just incredible and uh, the encouragement that I got and it was just it, it blew me away to be honest with you it really did and um, you know the, the people here over the years I know they're the, extremely respectful but today was just uh, something that that really touched my heart pretty good Tiger uh, you and the rest of us discovered a lot of media we didn't know existed until the accident. I just wondered your response to the mainstream media, which was a lot more critical, obviously, than it had been. Were you surprised and uh, how might say the group in here treated you, the golf writers, normal sports writers, or do you sort of expect that? Well, I was surprised at, you know, what mainstream media, I mean, that's, um, I think it's also the, the, the times have changed as well. You know, it's, um, with 24-hour news, it's, in, you know, you're looking for any kind of news to, to get out there, and um, I know a lot, a lot of my friends are in here, and you know, I haven't seen them, I haven't talked to them, but I've, I've read their articles, and you know, of course they've been critical of me. Um, they should, because you know what I've done was wrong. But then again, I know a lot of them, a lot of you in here are my friends, and will always be my friends. Gentlemen down the back. Yeah, Tyree, you had said earlier that you were in some form of a rehab. Can you talk about are you still in rehab and what that rehab was for? You know, I, yeah, I was in there for 45 days, um, and it was to take a hard look at myself, and I did. And I've come out better, um, certainly a much better person for it um, than I was going in. And does that mean I'm ever going to stop doing that? No. Uh, i got to still continue with my treatment, um, and that's, uh, that's going forward. That's not, not going to continue. That's uh, not going to stop in the near future for sure. That's uh, personal. Thank you. Tiger Woods facing a barrage of questions about his personal and professional life. Next, to South Africa, where the brutal murder of white supremacist Eugene Terra Blanche over the bank holiday weekend has stoked racial tensions. President Jacob Zuma has appealed for calm among all party leaders, including Julius Malema, the leader of the ANC's youth wing. David Smith is The Guardian's Africa correspondent on the line from Johannesburg. Julius Malema, the leader of the African National Congress Youth League, has for some weeks now been singing a, um, an apartheid era protest song, which includes the lyric, uh, Shoot the Boa. was Burr referring to uh, farmers in the Dr. Afrikaans language. This was already very controversial, uh, much talked about in the media, and uh, an action was brought against him in court. Um, and in fact, twice uh, gagging orders were imposed, which he insisted that he would uh, defy. Of course, um, many members of the white community and their political representatives argued this uh, song was inflammatory and an incitement to violence against um, white farmers in particular. 
and uh, the court agreed with that and described it as uh, hate speech. And, and this comes against a background where Malema is a real firebrand, very outspoken, uh, very controversial, very polarizing. And um, just lately, for example, in the past weekend, he's been in Zimbabwe praising Robert Mugabe's land reforms and saying that South Africa needs to go down the same road in terms of um, black empowerment and uh, taking economic privileges away from whites. Um, and that, of course, has uh, increased anxiety among a lot of people. He is at this point playing into the hands, isn't he, of the AWB, the white supremacist group, who blame this song for one reason, for the death of their leader, Eugene Terblanche. Yes, I mean, he's uh, an absolute gift for their argument that um, the, uh, the ANC and the black majority in South Africa um, are racially polarising and that... Uh, the, the white farmers are, are under siege. Um, you know, M- Malema is, uh, is is always uh, inflammatory and a, a target uh, in that way. And um, you know, Zuma last night called for all political leaders just to tone down the rhetoric and, and think before they speak. It is important that all leaders who lead this country from po- different political formations and non-governmental organisations should unite in the call for calm in this country. So the call by the spokesman of the AWB, Terre Blanche's uh, supremacist group, that that other countries shouldn't send their football teams to the, and I quote, land of murder, that shouldn't be taken, what, too seriously? Um, probably not too seriously. I mean, the ANC have been quick to sort of dismiss it. Um, I mean, the, the thing with South Africa is that crime is both both real and hyped at the same time. A lot of the talk in the last 24 hours about um, South Africa burning and uh, descending into a, a fierce uh, race war involving machetes, it must be said, is, is rather hyped, to say the least. The Guardian's David Smith. Finally, Professor Carmen Reinhardt has spent the past two years comparing the current world banking crisis with those throughout previous centuries, Her findings form the basis of her latest book, This Time It's Different. She's in London to deliver her message to the Royal Economic Society that high levels of government debt leave a country exposed to a shock in the credit markets of the type that Greece has experienced. She told The Guardian that politicians need to act. In both sides of the Atlantic, there's denial. There's the expectations that, well, if the economy improves, we're somehow one way or another going to get out of this. But even absent the cases of outright denial, that there's recognition that, you know, something has to be done, we know what the some things are, and they don't involve bigger spending and lower taxes. Uh, They involve quite the opposite, which is very much a very tough medicine for the economy that the politicians have to deliver. This is not a popularity contest. And because it's not a popularity contest, one very plausible scenario, both in the U.S. and in the U.K., is that a wake-up call may be needed. Let me give you an example. In the mid-1990s, Canada was faced with a very worrisome debt profile. Even without fully taking into account contingent liabilities within both in the U.K. and the U.S. are great, the debt profile was 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 definitely out of control 
And lo and behold, in, in December of 1994, early 1995, comes the Mexican peso crisis. You may wonder why I'm talking about the Mexican peso crisis when I'm talking about Canada, but the point was that around the Mexican crisis, Canadian spreads began to move in tandem with emerging markets. And spreads began to widen, and the Canadian dollar began to slide against the U.S. dollar, so much so that the central bank raised interest rates to stem the slide of the Canadian dollar. And the fact that Canada started looking a lot like an emerging market was a major wake-up call uh, to politicians that, whoa, something has to be done here. And, and so it may take that. Economist Carmen Reinhardt, whose new book is called This Time It's Different, published by Princeton University Press. That's it for today's Guardian Daily, producing today Phil Maynard. I'm Mike Durant. Thanks for listening.